Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to International Horizons, a podcast of the Ralph Bunch Institute for International Studies that brings scholarly and diplomatic expertise to bear on our understanding of a wide range of international issues. My name is John Torpy, and I'm director of the Ralph Bunch Institute at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Today, we discuss the coronavirus crisis in Indonesia with an Indonesian expert on the subject, Irma Hidayana. Irma Hidayana is an independent public health activist in Indonesia with a PhD in health and behavior studies from Columbia University. Her research focuses on the impact of the baby food industry on health, on conflict of interest in public health, and on public health and human rights. In early March 2020, she co-initiated Lapur COVID-19, a citizen-led data science project using an open source platform that allows people to report COVID-19 related data and information. And as a result of this work, she came to represent Indonesia at the Reuters Next 2021 Summit on COVID-19 in January 2021. Welcome, Irma Hidayana. Hello, John. How are you? Great. Great to have you with us. Thank you so, so much. Yes, thank you. So we've been hearing, uh, you know, claims that Indonesia is essentially the next Indi India uh, when it comes to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, how would you describe the, cor the COVID situation in Ind Indonesia right now? Well, we're not uh, the next India, but actually we are. I mean, uh, the new daily cases has surpassed surpassed the uh, India uh, the cases in India. So right mm. now the situation is not really good. It's um, it's getting worse. I guess over the past uh, week, I guess uh, we have uh, the positivity rates of uh, the coronavirus cases is uh, above 40 percent so that means that mm. the transmissions of the virus is uh, very um you know um very high and i'm talking specifically not only in jakarta the capital city of indonesia greater area but also across the java island and also bali and we need to look at the other island outside the java and bali too because um, we still have uh, low testing. The testing is not proportionally distributed across the country. Most tested is still only be done in Jakarta, the capital city of Indonesia. So that's only uh, talking about the testing. So we have a lack of testing still. According to WHO, actually, um, at least uh, per week, we need to test one over 1,000 uh, people a week, but uh, Jakarta actually has met the standard, even uh, beyond six times uh, beyond the standard. But the other provinces 
they are still uh, way, way, way under the, the standard. That's, that's the testing. Let's see the uh, health facility, the hospital. So June is a very, uh, since June this year, it's a very, uh, they're very, um, um, you know, tragic uh, situations in Indonesia. Uh, we, uh, there are so many people who were turned away from one hospital to other hospitals, like 10 hospital, 15 hospital, and put them at risk uh, of uh, dying because they don't get any medical help, any medical assistance because of uh, the infection that they have. And then as a result, actually, there are so many people who died when they are doing self-isolation at their home. And we actually uh, recorded, we identify, we collect the data from the media, mainstream media, from the social media, from our network, and we try to verify the data and information on those who death at home when they are doing self-isolations. And since June, the number of people who died uh when they are in self-isolations at home, reaching uh, 625 people. So this is this is very bad. Those 1,625 people, this is at least, they died at home because they were rejected. They were turned away from the hospital because the hospitals, it's over capacity. So I would say we are, uh, our health system right now is in collapse. Otherwise, uh, they could still um, admit new patients. And when you are wow. here, yeah. Well, so that's I, the. I want to. You've raised a number. You've raised a number of different things that I want to talk about. I mean, first of all, you um, you know referred to we have you know gathered this data. Who who's we? Can you tell us a little bit more about the organization or group that you're talking about? Right. Sure. So. As you mentioned uh, in your introductions, I co-initiate uh, this initiative, namely Lepore COVID-19. It's, it's actually in English when you uh, translate it, it's literally uh, report COVID-19. So this platform is actually, I use um, WhatsApp and Telegram chatbot to facilitate people to report any information any data in uh, their surrounding area that they know about uh, COVID-19. That includes like if, they're, if uh, uh, they have uh, clinical symptoms that leads to uh, COVID-19, for example, or if they're mem- the member of the family um, uh, uh, died without any uh, medical help, if they need a uh, hospital, for example, they could they could just uh, text this chatbot, and then we have a number of volunteers who actually uh, on board, watching on the dashboard, uh, uh, and then follow up one by one the messages that uh, come through the chatbot, and then follow up working together with the local government. So this is uh, what we've done. So we actually, we um, understand that the, uh, uh, this pandemic situation uh, does not allow us to meet uh, physically. So that's why using this um, health uh, innovations, health technology innovations, um, I think it could facilitate um, public participations 
in order to help the government to control and to prevent a worsened uh, uh, transmission virus transmission at the local community. So this is what we do. But not only uh, stop there. We also uh, collect. We also uh, collect data and informations on the ground. Um, specifically, using uh, official data at the city level, we have 514 uh, cities across Indonesia, and each cities they have their own COVID-19 uh, uh, dashboard uh, informations. And then, mm -hmm. this is the most interesting part: the number that appear in each uh, city actually sometimes um, different. Uh, with the number that is pub officially published by the central government. So the central government actually only published a uh, national number, and those national number were actually gathered gather from uh, uh, city-based uh, uh, data and information. But sometimes there are um, a, a gap, a, a huge gap uh, number that uh, the official central government reported. Like, for example, uh, in 25th of June, um uh the number of people who death the death number uh from covid 19 confirmed cases uh that is published and officially announced by the government is uh, only like 50 50000 something but then the actual number that we collect from one by one across 540 14 uh, cities in indonesia it's actually uh, close to 69,000. So you see there are huge gap. This is what we call under-reporting cases. But this is still of an official data. We're not talking about uh, those who died, uh, uh, but uh, they haven't got tested for uh, the PCR testing. So we have so many problems here in Indonesia, and we, Lapore COVID-19, we try to work together collectively with the community, with the journalists, with the scientists, with the epidemiologists, with the um, public health expert, and also sometimes with uh, local government uh, together uh, to come up with an analysis and then propose the solutions and demand, uh, demand uh, a better, uh, you know, uh, tackling from the government uh, in, the, in this pandemic era. Right. I mean, the counting of the coronavirus is something we've done, you know, one or two uh, podcast interviews on, actually. I mean, I, I have generally felt that the real the better way to uh, assess these these numbers is to use the sort of concept of excess deaths. Right. How many more people uh, die in a particular year or month, you know, relative yes. to some five year average or perhaps longer uh, which I think, you know, gets us around a lot of the questions about what exactly, you know, caused the death. And in, I mean, the person who came on and talked about this was uh, an epidemiologist, sociologist who works a lot in Africa on, you know, in trying to improve reporting and, and recording of, you know, health statistics and mortality statistics and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, it's just very difficult to know often really, you know, what somebody died of. Yeah. So the excess deaths measure, it seems to me, is generally a much better one. Is that something you've been talking about as well? 
Yes, it is. Actually, we published one paper um, uh, on excess death, but it's only covered uh, the excess death in uh, capital city, Jakarta, and it's all only um, the data uh, from the last year. We It is very difficult to get uh, the excess death data. We need to work with the local government, with health office, and with, uh, with other um, different, um, like, um, what you call a domestic affair office uh, at the uh, uh, local level. And then it is very difficult to access uh, the data. So they are not uh, transparent about the data. I don't know what is going on, but uh, I think uh, the political commitment from the local government to open the data of uh, those of uh, any costs uh, uh, for uh, the excess the debt, it is it's, it's very difficult. We only success uh, in ac- assessing uh, accessing data uh, in the capital city. We try to access uh, 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 those data to come up with uh, 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 with other studies in different provinces in other provinces in, in Java Island, but we couldn't access the data. So uh, right now we are stuck. We cannot uh, continue this access uh, death uh, study. But that's true. Uh, so, but this could maybe this could uh, illustrate how in transparency. And how accountability uh, accountability problem that Indonesia is facing right now is very serious. And you know when you work uh, to uh, uh, to control in order to control uh, the pandemic, data is the first. Um, you know you need to have a, 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 the transparent data and accountable data. So that's why we come to the to this uh, uh, catastrophic situations. I would say because mm-hmm. so many people mm-hmm. died uh, at home, so many people were turned away from the hospital, and so many uh, people cannot get access to the testing, and also so many people are still difficult to get the COVID vaccination. Mm-hmm. And. Sure. One more thing. One more thing. I I wanted to uh, since we talk about the numbers, we also built so our uh, my initiative uh, this laporic of it. We also uh, built um, what you call uh, digital uh, memorials, digital memorials for healthcare workers. So over the past one and a half years, we collect data. Uh, with the healthcare organizations, and there are in total um, one thousand three hundred and sixty-five healthcare workers who died from COVID nineteen. This is at least because some some health some health workers uh, families they they don't want to um, you know to acknowledge that uh, uh, the other the family member is. Uh, uh, has died from COVID nineteen, and this month only. This is very, this is still halfway of the full uh, month of July. Uh, there are one hundred and ninety four healthcare workers who died from COVID nineteen. Right, it's obviously very dangerous for those who are kind of you know what we call frontline workers on the healthcare system. So, 
maybe, I mean, you cited this figure of 40% test positivity, which is obviously off the charts. And, um, you know, could you speak to the question of, I mean, to what extent does this have to do with uh, the Delta variant or other variants? I mean, as you surely know, you know, there's a lot of discussion here in the United States and, and you know, a, a recorded increase in uh, spike in uh, cases uh, because of the Delta variant, which seems to be considerably more, um, you know, infectious than it's or the, than the original coronavirus virus. Um, but uh, it's not clear that it's really any more that it produces any more severe disease. And in any case, you know, at least those who are vaccinated um, you know, have protection against as far as we can see so far. But of course, if you're not vaccinated, you know, you're in trouble, which is really the situation, I suppose, that most Indonesians find themselves in. Right. Uh, well, um, I always says uh, every time uh, to public that uh, the spike, the carbon spike of cases in Indonesia is not only caused by uh, the new Delta variants that is uh, known very uh, transmittable. And uh, when it is transmitted, it would be uh, expo exponentially uh, transmittable in the community. Uh, well, that's one case, but uh, there are two important uh, factors that contribute to the spikes of cases that we have right now. First of all, a very loosened public health measures. We've never had lockdown in Indonesia on what's, what what do you want to, to call uh, social restrictions on what's on and what so far. We are very, um, we're not strict at all, even though over the past two weeks, the government uh, tried to stricken uh, the social uh, uh, measure actually, uh, but still, uh, some people could go to work, like uh, the government categorized uh, these essential workers, they still can go to work. Like, for example, uh, those who work um, in the infrastructures uh, area, for example, there's no urgency for them to go to work to build the building that is, I mean, you know, you have to stay at home. This is the emergency situation you have to the government needs to make sure that everybody is staying at home in, in order to control um, the delta variant uh, transmissions among the community but this is not the case in indonesia some office is still open too and it is allowed by the government uh, but before uh, the government also still encourage um, uh, 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 the public to go to uh, the mall, to the, um, uh, uh, what you call, sorry, uh, they still opened a recreational area and then uh, people are encouraged to visit this recreational area. So this is, I think, um, uh, uh, the illustrations to best illustrate that the government uh, still prioritize uh, economy over public health. So this mm -hmm. is this is a key, one of the keys of why we are in the um, uh, in this phase, and also um, the number of testing and the very slow um, rate of vaccination. So these three 
the loose and public health measure. So there's no lockdown, uh, very loose uh, restrictions, uh, which allow the virus uh, to transmit at the community level uh, easier. And then secondly, low testing. Um, and then uh, vaccinations, uh, Still, we still have so many problems. People are still uh, very difficult to register and to find how can they uh, get vaccinated uh, uh, their family member. So these three all together right. and then plus Delta variants. Right. Contributing well, I mean, to another the thing, as you, Right. I mean, as you speak, the... You know, it reminds me of some of the issues that we've had in the United States. I mean, in the earlier stages of this crisis that, you know, many people basically couldn't afford to take time off to go get tested or eventually, of course, even to get vaccinated because they couldn't afford to not be working. And I mean, I was just reading a book called Epidemics and Society, which is really a great book by Frank Snowden from Yale. Uh, and he was talking about how, you know, when the plague reemerged in India in the late 19th century, one of the things that the British actually did was to, you know, provide uh, income supports for people so that they could, you know, uh, quarantine and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. so this is not a new idea, right? And it's sort of obvious. And I mean, when we talk about, you know, the social determinants of health, I mean, this is the kind of thing that it's so obvious that this kind of measure needs to be taken or needed to be taken in the U.S. case um, so that people could do what they needed to do on the public health side and not worry about, you know, their economic well-being. So I'm assuming that that is not a measure that the Indonesian government, given what you've described so far, I'm assuming no. that that's not something the Indonesian government has done. Yeah, that is not. Uh, the government, what is the government doing? So we actually have the uh, legal basis of um, of this idea. You know, we adopt uh, the idea of um, when infectious disease is transmitted, uh, epidemic, uh, sorry, when pandemic hits uh, our um, uh, country, actually. So there is um, a certain... A public health measure that you need to do, like for example, this lockdown. When you do lockdown, and the government has an obligations to fulfill the need, the basic need of the community, so they don't have to be worried about their economic well-being, as you said. But unfortunately, the government uh, does not use this uh, legal basis uh, in doing uh, this uh, uh, restrictions. Uh, uh, instead, they still have. That's why they still choose to loosen the uh, the restrictions. Maybe because they don't want to fit the people who are most who are most infected uh, by the virus. So this is actually what we're trying to advocate and what we always uh, try to push the government to do. So you need to make sure that uh, everybody, uh, specifically those who are in need, uh, should be uh, uh, should be ensure that they uh, they could stay at home uh, without worrying about their economic well being. But seems um, I don't know. But seems that the government uh, would never listen uh, to this uh, demand from us. And as a right. result, so people still are worrying about their economic uh, life, and then they still has to go to 
uh, outside from their house. Like for example, in Indonesia, there are so many people who live in a poor setting, and they still have to, they still have to find, uh, you know, food uh, to live, and that they don't care about the virus as long as they can eat. They can, uh, their family uh, can live. It's fine because uh, when you are infected by the virus, then, well, it's later. It's not happening right now. What is we are facing right now is the most important thing that we could eat. So it's it's kind sure. of like social problem. And at the first phase, I think in Indonesia, maybe this pandemic is only uh, a the problem of public health, but. Uh, after the six month, uh, the coronavirus, uh, this pandemic hits Indonesia. It becomes a social problem. It's it's getting more uh, the dimensions, uh, the in, the dimension impact of this uh, pandemic is um, is a very, uh, you know, multi dimensional involving economy, social, um, uh. Uh, people's belief and so on and so forth. So it's getting complicated the situation. Right. So I mean, as we've sort of hinted at a couple of times already, I mean, the big, the real solution to all of this is for people to get vaccinated. Uh, <laughs> but I take it that you know there's not much in the way of vaccination going on in Indonesia so far. And of course, this is true throughout, you know, much of the rest of the world, outside the wealthier countries. Uh, maybe you could talk about, you know, the vaccination availability, how much of a campaign there is underway to get people vaccinated, whether there's vaccine hesitancy, which is obviously not the biggest part of the problem at the moment, but could be uh, if vaccines become available. So talk to us about that situation. So we, uh, the government, uh, the first time we roll out uh, COVID vaccination is uh, in mid-January 2021, and the government um, uh, purchased uh, Sinovac at the time. And then the first phase of uh, the vaccination was actually um, uh, for the healthcare workers. But before the healthcare workers uh, all the healthcare workers um, are vaccinated. Actually, the government actually um, they didn't really follow the uh, uh, the rules of uh, uh, which uh, 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 the priorities of uh, the vulnerable groups uh, 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 priorities uh, in getting the COVID nineteen vaccination. Like for example, according to the WHO recommendations. Uh, the top priority group that you need to vaccine is uh, uh, the healthcare workers and then elderly uh, and then those with comorbidities and then uh, public servants and then the public. Or you can go by, after health workers, you can go by the age group, the orders uh, to the, the younger people group. Uh, but that is not the case of Indonesia. Uh, first of all, we violate that rule. Um, vaccine equity becomes a huge problem in Indonesia when the uh, when the healthcare workers uh, are not fully vaccinated. Uh, the government uh, gave the vaccine to the uh, media people. Like I remember that our president uh, gave uh, five thousand doses for a journalist. Um, what's the urgency of this? And then. They then uh, they invite like celebrities and creative workers, those uh, 
young with a thousand, hundred thousands or a million followers on Instagrams or Twitters and other social medias uh, to get vaccinated. And then uh, that way, the uh, vaccination priority as um, recommended by the WHO is violated and vaccine equity become a problem. Those who are very vulnerable uh, to uh, of uh, the COVID-19 uh, infection or disease, uh, they are left behind. But on the other hand, those who are uh, vulnerable, but they have their tie to the power they would get uh, the priority uh, to get the vaccine. So this is uh, one one problem. And right now, uh, when you see uh, the data from uh, the situation report of uh, the World Health Organizations, uh, the coverage of vaccination to uh, health workers are not still um, 100%. There are three big uh, provinces that still has... Um, thousands of health workers who are not vaccinated. So in Aceh, one of the province who got uh, uh, hit by uh, 2004 tsunami, uh, there are still sick around 6,000 healthcare workers who are not vaccinated yet. And then in South Sulawesi province, there are still around uh, 5,000 to 6,000 healthcare workers who are not uh, getting um, the vaccine. And then in Papua, in Papua, also, the number of health workers who are not uh, vaccinated is still um, around 4,000. 4, 4, so we could see that the vaccine access, vaccine dis- uh, uh, inequity uh, is a, a big problem in Indonesia. And then overall, the coverage of vaccinations uh, is still less than 20% of uh, uh, the target uh, population in Indonesia. So the target of Indonesia is actually uh, 70% of the whole population. It's, it's around 181 million people uh, uh, to to go to reach uh, to the herd immunity. But I, I, I think it's still a long way to go for us to get uh, the, uh, you know, uh, vaccination coverage uh, to, uh, proportionally across the country. Right. And Indonesia in this regard is sort of typical, I guess, of, you know, what's going on in much of the non-wealthy parts of the world. I mean, how do you see that all playing out? Is the COVAX initiative going to succeed in getting, you know, a lot of the world uh, vaccinated? Is the United States doing enough? Um, You know, you could sort of say it's pretty clear that that's not the case. Um, but what's, you know, how, how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, there's talk about the vaccination of the rest of the world taking, you know, not being completed before the end of 2022 or later than that. Um, you know, there's a question of uh, ramping up the supply, the, the manufacturing of, of the supply. But, uh, you know, how do you see this playing out? Uh, it's of course it's a big challenge for um, developing countries uh, like us. Like uh, as we see, we got uh, we purchased uh, Sinovac uh, uh, ex- uh, aside for in addition to the uh, contributions for other uh, from uh, other countries, uh, Covax and uh, from the United States, for examples. And as we see, 
uh, it is very uh, unfortunately the efficacy and safety of this uh, Sinovac uh, vaccine is a wave uh, far below uh, those that uh, the U.S. have, uh, like Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson's. Some people even uh, worried about the effectiveness of uh, this Sinovac against the Delta variants, um, understanding, but there is no complete uh, uh, complete studies um, that carefully uh, study these uh, correlations. But as we see, uh, as I explained earlier, that uh, there are too many healthcare workers who died, and this month only uh, there are um, 194 healthcare workers uh, died due to um, the infections, and most of them are. Uh, were fully vaccinated by Sinovac, so it 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 may be there is a correlation while we are we're waiting uh, for the uh, official studies. But then, um, uh, the doctor association in Indonesia and healthcare and other healthcare workers uh, associations have uh, demand to the the government that uh, they demand another shot uh, of Moderna or Pfizer. Um, uh, for the health workers to boost the uh, immune uh, of them, understanding they are the frontliner. And the government has already agreed uh, on it. But I think uh, uh, speaking about these figures, this uh, public health sites uh, from the perspective of epidemiology or social uh, perspective, I think uh, the most important uh, 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 the most important uh, issue that we are facing is actually uh, the political commitment from the government uh, to tackle this pandemic. You know, we, uh, we uh, the number of people who died is more than 60,000 people uh, who died uh, from the virus. Uh, uh, it, it, that's at least we don't count the underreporting cases, those who died uh, uh, with probable uh, status. And uh, it's not, we're not talking about the excess death too. Uh, so uh, with this situation, with the health system is uh, functionally collapsed, in collapse, uh, the government never acknowledged the real situation that we're not okay. Instead, they still say they still say that oh uh, the situation is okay we are doing okay and it is not collapsing but it is just over capacity uh, this is very um, disappointing us because it shows that the government doesn't show uh, its empathy uh, to the family who lost the, uh, their family members uh, from coronavirus infection and and it didn't acknowledge uh, how hard we struggle with the oxygen shortage, uh, uh, medicines, drugs, supplies for even only for vitamin. It's also uh, it's a little bit difficult to find. Uh, what we need is actually the government acknowledge the situations and then offer their uh, concrete help um, uh, to their people. And then uh, uh, do uh, you know take a very extraordinary actions uh, in order to control and to stop and to slow down the uh, transmissions in the community level. Got it. Well, 
it's, there are many challenges that remain and, you know, unfortunately they're unfairly distributed through the social structure of the, the world. Uh, so we wish you luck in uh, you know, getting the kinds of response that you need to put a stop to the, to the tragedies associated with the coronavirus. But that's it for today's episode. I want to thank Irma Hidayana for her insights about the coronavirus crisis in Indonesia. Remember to subscribe and rate International Horizons on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I want to thank Christo Voinoff for his technical assistance and to acknowledge Duncan McKay for sharing his song, International Horizons, as the theme music for the show. This is John Torpy saying thanks for joining us. We'll be taking a summer pause until the end of August when the semester begins again at CUNY, and we'll look forward to having you with us when we return to the airwaves. Thanks again, Irma Hideana.